What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy, CK, and this is another great episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. This week, I sat down with Ben Carman. That is Ben the Carman. He has been absolutely killing it in Bitcoin tech and especially DLCs over at SureBit. Um, we go through his journey to from being you know a college contributor to open source all the way to you know leading cutting edge engineering over at one of the premier engineering shops in the Bitcoin space. Um, and from there, we talk about what are discrete log contracts, DLCs, and what they enable for Bitcoin. We talk about Taproot and the latest in Taproot activation. Uh, and, you know, we talk about libertarianism and why libertarians need to adopt Bitcoin, why libertarians need to take action and stop LARPing. Um, this is a really good podcast. Before I get into it, though, let's talk about Bitcoin 2021. Ben is going to be at Bitcoin 2021. Nick Zabo is going to be at Bitcoin 2021. Chamath, um, Tony Hawk, Jack Dorsey, Michael Saylor, all of them are speaking at Bitcoin 2021. And we are going to be announcing a lot of other fantastic speakers. Ticket sales are absolutely banging. It is absolutely unreal how much energy the Bitcoin community is sending to our event. And now that it is in Miami, oh my gosh, it is going to be absolutely banging. June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. The 3rd is our whale day, our VIP day. The actual conference is the 4th and the 5th. It's going to be an entire week of Bitcoin in Miami. So make sure to get there early. Make sure to check our website. We're going to be publishing all of the events that are going to be associated with the conference. And guys, get together with Bitcoiners. Go get 10% off your ticket at b.tc backslash conference when you use promo code SATOSHI. That is all caps SATOSHI to save 10% off your ticket. Peace. Let's get into this podcast. Bitcoiners, I'm sitting right across the screen from Ben the Carman. Ben, I remember the first time we met, actually. It was before your rise to Bitcoin development greatness. Yeah, we met at, uh, what, Bitbox Bloom 2019, right? Yeah. I, I, it, was, it was like a, it was the Nakamoto Institute big, uh, beef dinner yeah, uh, or right. barbecue dinner. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. That was like super surreal for me. Like meeting, like I remember, like sat next to Safety, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm among the gods." And uh, yeah, I got to meet you, met a bunch of other people. That was a ton of fun. Yeah, both very early in our uh, Bitcoin careers. I think you had like 200 followers or something like that at the time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, dude, you you know, after, you know, following finishing up school, you went straight into shirt bits and really started like cutting your teeth on some cutting edge tech. So I'm really excited to have you on to kind of talk about what you're doing there. You know, why don't you kind of give the listeners who might not be familiar with you uh, kind of like the lowdown on uh, what your deal is? Yeah, I mean, uh, so like uh, CK said, I was like, you know, kind of a nobody back in 2019. And um, at that time, I was like kind of contributing to Bitcoin Core and Wasabi in my free time. And then I graduated college and uh, got a job here at Shirtbits. And I've been doing that for the past like year and a half where um, primarily we just work on uh, just like Bitcoin open source stuff. And then uh, DLCs is like our flagship thing we're trying to uh really promote yeah that's like mostly what i'm up to so the last two years so can you like kind of talk about you know being a college kid contributing to open source projects and then turning that into a job and then now you know 
really pushing forward, uh, you know, some of the best and most cutting edge tech in Bitcoin? Yeah, being in college and contributing to Bitcoin projects is honestly terrible because it's like at one point you're like, oh, I need to do my homework and, uh, you know, get good grades. And another thing you're like, well, I really want to spend time, you know, learning all this cool stuff on Bitcoin and you end up kind of tanking your grades a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's a fun process. Honestly, I learned way more in like the year I did contributing to open source projects than I did in all of college. Like you pick up so much stuff from just getting like, you know, these super smart people reviewing your, your pull requests and code and reviewing other people's code. And you learn a ton just by doing that, at least in my experience. And yeah, um, I had like a pretty decent resume um, applying to Sherdbits where I contributed to Core and um, and Wasabi a bunch. So I had like a bunch of Bitcoin open source projects, um, you know, show my show my worth and then uh, applied to Sherdbits. Did like a small test project um, with them uh, as like a part of my introduction. And then uh, after that, I was able and accepted the job. And yeah, it's been a ton of fun ever since. Okay, so let's talk about DLCs. I guess let's start with like a you know, basic introduction of what it is, and then we can kind of get into the fun stuff. Yeah, so um, DLCs are kind of like Bitcoin's best way to do smart contracts. And probably it, the Really quick, what DLC stands for discrete log contract. Is that correct? Yeah, discrete log contracts. Um, honestly, it's terrible branding. Um, like no one knows what a discrete log is. Like, I mean, what it really means is just like, like the discrete log of a public key is a private key. So you kind of, you get, it kind of works into how it works, but like it's terrible branding. But um, basically what it is, is like, say me and you want to bet on something. We set up a two of two multi-sig with each other, and then we give each other invalid signatures. And then an Oracle, a um, third party that we're trusting to just say something that happens in the real world. So they could be saying, you know, the Bitcoin price, they could be saying who won the Super Bowl, they could be saying who won an election, they could be saying anything they want. And then they're going to give out a signature saying this thing happened. And then we use that signature to turn our invalid uh, signatures with each other to valid and then execute our contract on chain. So um, this is like a really like compact, scalable and private way to do contracts. And it's like just super easy to do on Bitcoin where we're just um, like at the end of the day, it's just a two of two multi-sig and then sending it to our, each other afterwards. So there's no like like um, like on-chain footprint, whereas like things on other chains are doing smart contracts. It's very obvious what you're doing. Like you're sending it to like this contract's address and then, you know, the funds are coming out. So everyone knows like, you know, what happened and why you got the money. Whereas with this, the on-chain footprint is just like a two of two multi-sig. So it could be a lightning channel. It could be, you know, just a two of two multi-sig, like something like Blockstream Green. The the, the participants can't, or the uh, like third parties can't know. It's just the participants that know. So it's a really nice way to do it. And also it's extremely scalable, like, like I said. Yeah, so can you kind of talk about, like, I guess in terms of DLCs, right? So the use case is effectively enabling an Oracle to coordinate with people. And the idea is, is that, you know, anyone can just pop up, you know, put some Bitcoin down as collateral and then say, I'm signing for this event, right? And then anyone can create a contract that refers to that that signature without actually communicating with the Oracle. 
And like, that's kind of like the key here and what makes it like really different than, you know, oracles on Ethereum or anything like that. This is like truly like an ecosystem of contracts and, and oracles, and they can just kind of plug into each other and, 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 you know, build from there. Yeah, exactly. So like when say like me and you are doing a contract, we can pick any set of oracles we want. We could like, you know, find three of our best friends. We could go find three exchanges. We can pick anyone that's actually an oracle. And us picking oracles doesn't mean like everyone else doing the same contract has to use the same oracles. So it's really nice where like the users get lots of optionality and, uh, you know, you don't need to like be pigeonholed into like using these set of oracles just because that's what everyone else uses. So it's really... Go ahead. Sorry. So why is that so important, right? From like, uh, I guess from the integrity of the entire scheme. Well, yeah. So like, say if we had like, if we said like, you know, for Bitcoin price bets, you have to use like the Coinbase Oracle. That's like the only one. If Coinbase like went down one day or US government came in and tried to regulate them. Now all of our um, stuff is like totally botched and we need to like recreate everything. Whereas with this, it's just like, okay, now all new um, contracts that people make you just start picking new ones or even with this we can do like a a set of oracles so you could say like we're doing like three or five oracles have to attest to a price and um so if like save coinbase was compromised well they're just like um now we have you know four oracles you can pick from and hopefully those are all fine so i guess for someone who you know is unfamiliar with dlcs and kind of the the ecosystem and vision that short bits and other companies are trying to build um can you kind of talk a little bit about like the ux of like dealing with or the future ux of like using this kind of stuff like are are people going to just use a wallet and they'll be able to like peer-to-peer coordinate these contracts like how how does this kind of work from like a usage perspective yeah, the UX um, right now is still kind of up in the air. I mean, personally, at Shredbits, we have a, a library called Bitcoin S, and we built all of our DLC functionality into it. We have like a very, very rudimentary GUI where you like are copying, pasting like hex files between each other, which obviously is terrible UX. But one day, this will be like all automated for you. Well, you just type in an address or like a you know an onion link or like an invoice somewhere to Lightning you'll click like open DLC and your two wallets will negotiate between each other. So it's going to be something similar to like, like a lightning wallet where, you know, you're going to deposit funds and then, you know, find a peer create and then open your DLC with the, with each other. And uh, the wallets will handle everything else in the back end. And then once you have your Oracle signatures attesting to like the Bitcoin price or the Super Bowl winner or whatever you were betting on, you just paste that into your wallet or maybe even your wallet will pull it from a trusted source and it'll execute your DLC right for you. Very cool. So let's talk about crystal bowl. Um, this is a new protocol you put out. Um, like what, what is the purpose of crystal bowl and you know, why should people developers in particular start checking out the the code base? Yeah. Crystal bulls something really cool. Um, so one weekend I was bored and was like, oh, Bitcoin S doesn't have an Oracle implementation. I should try to see how hard that is to do. So it took me actually only a few hours to like bang out. But um, basically, it's just a very rudimentary DLC Oracle. And I just put a GUI on top of it. So it lets you um, just create um, any kind of event and attest to it. And uh, it's really simple. Like being an Oracle has almost no overhead. 
You don't need to be aware of the Bitcoin chain or any chain. All you're doing is having a private key and signing things. So um, all it does is just, you like say you want to create an event for the Super Bowl. You just type in you know your event name and your potential outcomes. Hit create event, and then when you want to um, sign the event after it's happened, you just click that event and hit sign. So it's like really um, rudimentary and basic, but um, it's really nice because since it is so basic, literally anyone can be an oracle. So you know you could have like large players like you know exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken. Or you could have, you know, just, you know, Joe Schmo, maybe like some random dude in Nigeria with barely an internet connection can do it just because this is such a low barrier entry thing to do. So I, I chatted about this uh, earlier, but kind of w- what makes an Oracle trustworthy, right? So it's not re- necessarily like a reputation trust, like you're trusting in Coinbase. Um, can you kind of talk about um, how reputation works and why someone would choose an Oracle from a reputation perspective. Yeah. So this Oracle is going to be like deciding or a set of Oracles and deciding how your contract executes. So you want to put someone that you like at least somewhat trust or, you know, is, you know, has something on the line. So um, like generally in the beginning, we see just like exchanges being these major players just because currently they have these like kind of reputations, but Obviously, those can be like, oh, they're a lot more susceptible to regulation and, uh, you know, or, you know, those are huge honeypots that someone could hack. So we also see just like, you know, Joe Schmo plebs like us just being oracles as well, just because it provides that de- degree of safety. And we also kind of like have seen this already in the wild with uh, things like Liquid, where you have like big exchanges. And then you also have like Wiz as a uh, a federation member. So um, it's totally possible that people start doing this. And uh, the, so you really want to pick your Oracle just on someone that you trust and you think is going to be, um, you know, not going to be lying. But we also do have mitigations for if they do lie or um, do something wrong, or which, which we call fraud proofs. So like if an Oracle, like say I'm an Oracle and I'm attesting to the Super Bowl, if instead of um, signing Tampa Bay one, I'd sign Tampa Bay one and... Um, San Diego one, I think that was the other team. Uh, Kansas City, but I'll Kansas forgive City. you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You just that's keep it. focusing on Bitcoin, Ben. <laughs> but yeah, um, say if I give out two signatures like that, I'll reveal my private key. And now anyone can make a signature for me. And um, something that you can do to like put money on the line for this is stake funds under that private key. So you just like turn that private key into a public key and it's turned that into a Bitcoin address is uh, very simple to do and then um, i can put funds up there so anyone can go on chain and see like oh ben has 10 bitcoin that he's um putting behind his weight and if he lies and uh put, puts out two signatures i can steal that 10 bitcoin or someone can and it's also good a good signal because if i am going to lie well i'll probably move that bitcoin beforehand so you can see on chain like oh shit ben the car man's about to lie let me um you know let's close out our contract because this is not going to be a valid contract so what if the person just lies without signing two different outcomes, right? So in the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay won, but what if I just signed Kansas City won? Is there a mitigation against that? Um, kind of. So you could create you could create a fraud proof. You could like say like, oh look, Ben gave this signature that says Tampa Bay won. Obviously that's not, or not Tampa Bay, uh, Kansas City won. That's obviously not what happened. And then you know, it's a cryptographic proof. It's just a signature I created. So you could distribute that widely, like. So like, look, Ben cryptographically said he's a liar. 
you can't steal my funds, but um, also you can mitigate that in your own contract by just using multiple oracles. So you could have like a three of five thing. So now you need like three people to lie to be able to uh, have your contract be like, you know, invalid. And these oracles don't know that you're you're kind of bundling them together, right? You're kind of picking three oracles. They're random. They're not in contact with each other, supposedly. Um, is that true? Yeah, yeah. So the oracles don't have to interact at all with each other. And the users don't have to directly interact with the oracles. So like, say you're a user using me as an oracle. I won't know that you're using me. So I can't be like, oh, shit, Christian used me. And then I can go to Coinbase like, oh, um, he used you as well. We can um, conspire and screw him over. Like we have no idea you're using us. So that would make it so like you have a, you know, plausible deniability and like protection from like the privacy aspect as well. I mean, I, I also kind of see that also adding to uh, the censorship resistance of some of these contracts, right? Like you could see like the fact that it's so permissionless to be a signer. And then on the flip side, like there's, you, you really don't know who is tapping into uh, and using your signatures, like that plausible deniability from a legal perspective, I feel like is probably a nice benefit. Um, kind of curious, like, okay, so you're a signer, you're an Oracle signer. I'm just some person who is, you know, betting on the Super Bowl. Um, what's the, like, what's the incentive for you to put money down to sign to like, you know, manage this whole thing? Like, why, why are you being an Oracle? Um, I mean, for one, it's almost zero cost, like, you know, doing it does, you know, I don't, I mean, it takes me like probably like a few minutes to set up and that's all I have to do, but like incentive to keep doing it. Um, I mean, initially we just see exchanges doing it cause they already do it for free for other chains like Ethereum. So, you know, it kind of just signifies, you know, like, oh, my order book is important. You should care about it. And it's like basically also just a free marketing technique saying they are a DLC Oracle, but um, otherwise, we have um, written some blog posts and like theorized ways you could actually sell your signatures, where um, you could like provably give a signature. That's um, and then it, it's encrypted with your Lightning payment. So once you pay, they get the signature and um, they can actually close out their thing. So you could do a thing where it's like, you know, I, you, here's my announcement for the event, and then when you want the signature, pay me a couple sats, and now I'm like getting paid for being an oracle. Okay, but that kind of functionality is not possible today with DLCs because you need DLCs over Lightning, which isn't possible until we have Taproot and some other uh, some other upgrades. Um, you've also been a really big proponent of Taproot and pushing things forward. Uh, do you want to kind of pivot to that since that kind of uh, really opens the door for more DLC functionality? Yeah, Taproot will be awesome for DLC like all smart contracting on Bitcoin and DLC is, uh, is also going to benefit a lot because what Taproot lets us do is hide that we're using this multi-sig. So, um, you know, today if we're doing a DLC, we have a two-to-two multi-sig on chain. People can explicitly see that. Now with Taproot, we can hide that. So our on-chain footprint will literally just look like users sending between each other and like no one can tell if it's like, you know, just users, if it's a DLC, if it's a lightning channel, if it's liquid, they can't tell at all. So it's really going to grow the anonymity set for a lot of users as well as just like um, reduce the on-chain fees as well for these things since we don't have to put all this extra data on-chain. So it's going to be super nice. And then it also enables um, new things on Lightning where a lot of the stuff um, 
basically it lets us use ptlcs instead of htlcs so changing the hash lock to a point lock which lets us loot um move one of our locking mechanisms from on-chain to inside of our signature. So it reduces um, on-chain space. And then um, since it's a, a point and not a hash, we can actually start doing math and stuff like that. So we can start using like this point to be a like a pivotal part of our contract to like be a DLC or to be, um, you know, to add random things going on on-chain. And um, it really enables a lot of new use cases. Okay, so I think there's two ways that we can take this. One is talk about, you know, where Taproot is in the activation process. What's your take on, um, you know, lot true, lot false, that kind of stuff. But the other way is I also want to talk about, like, you know, what is enabled in terms of actual um, products that, you know, kind of come with uh, a a Taproot Bitcoin um, uh, functionality. So I guess let's start with ta- kind of talking about, uh, you know, where Taproot is. Uh, again, you've really been a big voice here, uh, both in the conversation as well as educating users, uh, especially Twitter users, about, um, you know, what was happening kind of on IRC and stuff like that. I guess, why don't you update our audience? Yeah, um, so Taproot is like, it's merged in the Bitcoin core. It's like the code is done. The entire spec is done. It's just like, we need to figure out how we want to turn this thing on, on Bitcoin. And we need to figure out a way to do it all at the same time in a decentralized way. And, um, you know, with no like potential vulnerabilities. And obviously that's a very hard thing to do, especially after um, everyone has battle scars after SegWit. So um, previously how we activated Softworks was using this thing called BIP9, which basically says, um, during this period, if miners um, signal inside of their block that they um, for the upgrade that they're ready, once a certain threshold is reached, then we'll activate it. Um, but like what we saw in SegWit, though, miners use that to try to veto the upgrade, and um, then we had to respond with the UASF and like force the upgrade through. So um, and then postmortem after that, people wrote a bit called BIP8 which um, adds an optional parameter to it called lock-in on timeout, which just means if the miners don't activate at the end, then we're going to force them to signal and UASF it anyways. It's like and a built-in UASF. Yeah, yeah. It's like a default thing, which is like, you know, like during Segway activation, people had to release a separate client that had like all this extra unreviewed or like not as reviewed code. And, you know, it's not as a safe process. So it'd be nice if we just had this thing built into our client that would do it for us. But um, this, um, like, for the last, like, few years, I was kind of like, oh, this will probably be the activation method. We don't know what if we'll use lock-in or timeout, true or false, but we'll see. And then um, since the code's been merged and then people are actually trying to decide a activation method, it sparked this huge controversy where people, you know, there's, like, if you go on the Bitcoin dev mailing list, there's, like, hundreds and hundreds of emails of people bickering of, like, which one they want to do. And uh, it kind of blew up where um, it seemed like Bitcoin Core was going to merge lock-in on timeout false. So then people went to go make a separate client that had lock-in on timeout true. And then that discouraged people from actually merging lock-in and timeout false because um, if we have clients running with both, there's a potential chain split. Um, 
So people kind of got mad about that. And then it kind of turned into nothing. And then luckily in the last week, a new proposal by Rusty Russell came out um, called Speedy Trial. And this is um, basically what it is, is a three-month um, um, locking on timeout false, but with the caveat that um, if the miners do signal, it doesn't activate um, right after they're done signaling. It waits three months, and then the um, taproot rules will start being enforced. And this is done so miners don't have to get like their entire infrastructure ready um, immediately um, to signal. They can signal and then... Um, in that three month period to get their entire infrastructure ready. So it gives them a lot um, uh, more incentive to signal earlier and hopefully it could get Taproot activated even this year. Okay, uh, that's news for me. Bitcoin Magazine has been covering the Taproot activation discussion heavily. Um, Aaron Van Wordham did a podcast on it. He wrote a really great article on it. So shout out to Aaron for kind of um, adding to that, but I was unaware of, uh, of what this is called a uh, speedy trial. Yeah. Yeah. No, this thing, it kind of culminated over the weekend and has been like being debated right now, but it seems like, like, um, Michael Fulkson made a list of like everyone that's acted and it's like hundreds of people long. So it looks like people are all on board with this. Okay. Very, very interesting. So, uh, might have to dig up some more, uh, some more content around around this for Bitcoin Magazine, but um, okay, that's that's awesome to hear in terms of the uh, the update. So just really quick, so Lot True is um, effectively the built-in UASF. It's after a year um, we're turning on Taproot, no matter what the signal is, and then Lot False is effectively minor activated soft uh, soft fork. So wait till the miners hit a certain threshold of signaling. Um, and then, you know, it sounds like they would need to immediately, you know, but before they signal, they'd have to get their their infrastructure ready. Then they signal. And then when 90% threshold hits, then we go forward with it. So I can kind of see why people are, you know, wouldn't like that. You know, maybe some miners would kick the can down the road on actually upgrading their infrastructure, stuff like that. Um, and then now this new tro- this new proposal from Rusty Russell, which is, you know, just over the weekend. And I don't even know when this podcast is going to be released. So it might be old news by then, but um, this proposal uh, is a minor activated soft fork for three months uh, or sorry, signaling period for three months. Um, and then after they hit the threshold uh, they have another three months to actually upgrade before taproot is activated. So it's really a six month activation plan. So it's quick. Um, but it kind of splits up signaling and building out the infrastructure. So that way they have skin in the game once it's been quote unquote activated. Um, but they still have time to, um, or I guess quote unquote, um, signaled for, but they still have time to like, you know, get their shit together. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's been like, besides Segway, almost every software has activated within like the first two or three months. And, um, you know, we, a bunch of mining pools have like come out and said like, yeah, we plan to signal for taproot, like no matter what. So it seems like this will work just fine. It will actually activate. So um, I'm pretty bullish on it. And I'm, I'm glad we finally have a, an activation method that people agree on. So what's the timeline, right? Uh, right now, March 11th, when, uh, if you're feeling bullish, when do you think this thing's going to go down? Um, so the proposed start time for signaling, I think, is in 
it's either like end of june or like mid-july around then so i think we should have it by end of year like activated on the network but um you know i hope so at least but it seems like that'll happen if speed trial fails and we'll we'll know by like um like october november and then we can start a new activation uh, method if we need to Awesome. Well, I was not expecting to learn about a uh, taproot activation mechanism on this interview, but I'm glad that I went down this, uh, this rabbit hole. So uh, let's pivot back to, okay, so taproot, hopefully this year, it's going to go through. Um, that's going to enable a lot of cool functionality on Bitcoin, you kind of, you know, went over the basic kind of uh, benefits there. Um, but in terms of actual, um, you know, DLCs, um, you kind of described point like contracts, point lock contracts and why those are better, why that allows you to like do math in the contract. Can you like, you know, break that down for someone who's not an engineer? Like why, why is doing math in the contract better than just dealing with a hash? Yeah. So basically this math can just be, you could just like start using things that represent anything. So like for a DLC, if you want to do that. You can just say like, you just say like, oh, I'm gonna subtract a number from my point, and this number is essentially a secret that your your counterpart doesn't know. So they need this secret to be able to claim their payment on Lightning. So now the secret can represent anything you want. So the secret could be, you know, the the execution logic you need for a DLC. It could be uh, some other secret making for like, for another payment. So you can make like you know atomic payments that way. It could be literally anything. So the secret um, in the DLC way is just like the Oracle's signature. So once the Oracle signs the message, then they see the secret and can claim their payment. So that's like kind of the math thing. And then, um, you know, you could just have multiple secrets. And once you have all the secrets, you add them up together, combine that into your point, And now you've claimed your, your payment. So it can be like literally anything you want. And that's kind of the best way to explain it. Okay. So I guess like g- give us a practical use case that you wish you could do right now um, just to kind of like help the listeners visualize. Yeah. So I mean, we can just go back to the, the Super Bowl bet example where say me and you have a, a lightning channel together and we want to do a DLC instead of having to do on-chain payments like today fees are ridiculously expensive and screw that. So we're going to use lightning. So basically I make a lightning payment to you but I don't give you the secret to claim it. Um, I give you part of the secret and the other half of the secret is going to be this Oracle signature. So then now um, eventually, you know, Super Bowl happens, Tampa Bay wins, you know, say um, our third party Oracle signs Tampa Bay wins. And then you can get that secret from, um, from the Oracle and then just plug it into that payment. And now you've claimed your payment successfully and got, you know, you got your money's worth. I lost my money, sadly. But uh, and now you've claimed it. But yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, effectively, this allows you to do it on Lightning, and um, and it's a it's a cleaner, no fee or minimal fee type of an environment. So can we like zoom? Can we like fast forward to the future where like all of this stuff has been shipped and ecosystem has kind of been built? Can we talk about like? what does Bitcoin finance look like in the future, right? Because I feel like 
right now, if you want to do it Bitcoin natively, um, Unchained Capital is kind of pushing things forward with like getting loans and using multi-sig. So that way, you know, the counterparties and you have this third party, um, you know, so it's not 100% in, in Unchained's custody. Like, you know, we're starting to see the development of, um, you know, let's call it Bitcoin native finance, but it seems like DLCs are a really important puzzle piece and really kind of taking that functionality to the next level. Yeah, I mean, we see DLCs becoming like the the Bitcoin DeFi kind of thing where um, this basically lets you do any sort of financial contract you want on Bitcoin, on, on chain and Lightning especially, which is really nice. So like we see things where, you know, initially it'll probably just be like, Degens gambling on like you know sports and you know, elections or whatever you want, but um, eventually once this thing is way more built out, you could have like options contracts, futures contracts. You could use this to even like hold other assets. Where um, something we did where we um, basically did a contract based on the Bitcoin price, so that one of the holders held this, um, the same dollar amount of Bitcoin throughout the contract. So you essentially have like a stable coin in that way without having to actually interact with like, you know, the, the financial system or the, the legacy financial system. So you could, we see these things like evolving to like um, receive like almost anything you want um, to do for like Bitcoin finance. It's just like building it out. But yeah, there's um like we've been working with a couple exchanges trying to um, get them to be oracles and they see this as like potential revenue stream and uh you know, ways to do things where they could like have like a futures um, product or an options product using this. All right. Well, I want to totally pivot the conversation. Um, Earlier this week uh, or last week, you and Vake uh, kind of confronted uh, some prominent libertarian influencers. Um, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I guess the, the crux of your message was that like libertarians that aren't taking action and aren't adopting Bitcoin are kind of LARPs. I guess, what do you want to add to that? You want to kind of like walk us through uh, what went down? Yeah, so it was pretty funny. Like, so the, the whole like stiff started from um, Eric tweeting out, like he's responding to the $1.9 trillion stimulus where he's like, you know, the dollar is going to shit. You should buy, he said, precious metals, crypto and land, most importantly, land. And Vake replied, land is not the most important. It's Bitcoin because X, Y, and Z, which, you know, most listeners should probably know, you know, it's censorship resistant, not inflatable, can't be confiscated, all these things, um, you know, it doesn't really apply to land. So, um, and then um, Eric replied to him, you're a dumbass," And then it was like kind of mean to him. So that kind of just spiraled out of control and, um, uh, Vic started calling him a LARP and I jumped in saying like, yeah, you're kind of a LARP if you're, you know, if you're a libertarian that, you know, he's an ANCAP, he wants the like complete ab- abolition of the state. Yet we have Bitcoin, this tool that does exactly what he wants, yet he doesn't promote it at all in his content or like, you know, he says he does, but like very, very far and few between. And I mean, um, if he's recommending crypto, then he doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so like when I went, so eventually after like, yelling at each other on twitter for like two or three days on i think it was on tuesday we went on his podcast and um talked to him you know like when we talked to him he said he owns monero and so it's just like okay you clearly don't fully get it we're trying to explain this to you it's like clearly get it like you have tons of experts in the space that want to talk to you like it wasn't just me and vake replying to his threads he had like you know like alex Spetsky. he had like um you know just tons of plebs like responding to him like no dude you clearly don't get this thing 
are trying to explain it to you. And he's like, no, I get it. Like being the, uh, you're just being arrogant about it. And, but um, when we went on this podcast, we were just trying to explain like, you know, if you, this, we, you have this tool, Bitcoin, that is actively, you know, um, reducing the state's power by taking away their money printing ability, hindering their tax ability. And we're seeing it in the real world. We're like, we have countries like the Ni- Nigeria where they're like, our currency is useless. Bitcoin is like taking away our power. And he doesn't want to like, he says like, yes, Bitcoin is a good tool. But it's like you're you have this entire channel devoted to like Bitcoin or not uh, libertarian content. Yeah, you pr- like he doesn't not promote Bitcoin. He doesn't promote like any tools. Like he doesn't promote like 3D gun printing. He doesn't promote like you know. I asked him like, what do you think our solutions besides Bitcoin? He said, well, we could all just like say fuck you to the state and leave. I'm like, I try, like so I'm like, okay, if that's a solution, you never talk about that, and I don't even think that is a viable solution. Like that's not socially scalable. He's not talking about flag theory. He's not talking about um, 3D printing guns. He's not talking about creating censorship resistant money. Like he's, he, I mean, I think you guys are right. Like that is LARPing. And I feel like a lot of gold bugs and a lot of libertarians and like part of the libertarian party and Cato Institute, it's, I've said this before. It's like, you know, people who are used to losing, you know, crying about freedom and they're afraid to do something about it. And then when you see like the IMF or the ECB tweeting things about monetary policy, it's only Bitcoiners responding. Like only Bitcoiners are thinking about this. Like it it really is unbelievable, like kind of the libertarian establishment, how they there's like that disconnect with action. Right. And like I've tweeted this before as well. I've said, you know, Bitcoin is the most important thing happening today. And that's saying a lot like, like, so how can you not promote it? Like, how can you not promote it as a, you know, someone who wants to bring back sovereignty and freedom? Yeah, I totally agree. Like, like if you're just like, you know, if you like turn the most like Bernie bro AOC voter into a libertarian, like that's good. But once you do that, like they need something to actually do other, like, you know, if they stop voting for them, like sure. That's one vote. That's not towards, um, you know, like communists or socialists, but you know, they, they have nothing to do. Like you really like, you need like actual advice that actually helps promote Liberty and like things like flag theory, 3d printing guns, and especially Bitcoin are like pivotal for this. But if you don't promote this, like sure you're getting people on your side, but they need something to do to actually bring about Liberty into their lives and into the world. I guess anything else to say on that? I think we pr- covered it pretty well. But yeah. By Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, buy Bitcoin. Fuck politics, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> um, all right, Ben. This is a fun conversation, a little wide ranging, but um really appreciate you us giving giving us the skinny on DLCs, taproot, taproot activation, uh Bitcoin, the the future of Bitcoin finance, all of it. Um so thanks for coming on. No problem, man. Anytime. So I guess uh, we'll want to give you a chance to kind of give a last word as well as plug yourself. Where can people uh, learn mer- more about you? Yeah, um, follow me on Twitter, Ben the Carman. Or uh, if you want to know anything more about what we talked today, we have like a million blog posts on uh, the Sherbits uh, site, sherbits.com slash blog. We have everything on like DLCs, Taproot, Lightning, basically like anything Bitcoin tech if you want to learn more. So um, yeah, go check that out. You guys, check out Ben. I met Ben back in 2019, the summer of 2019. And, you know, he was just an eager, uh, eager pleb trying to get into the Bitcoin space. And he's absolutely blown up doing amazing work. And, you know, 
Ben, you're, you're the man, but you know, I think for all the clubs out there, you can contribute to Bitcoin too in your own way. And, you know, this, this community is all about, um, you know, is all about merit. So if you go out there and you do good work, like you're gonna, you're gonna rise through the ranks. Yeah. If like you're a, you know, if you're someone that wants to start getting into space, just start like in your developer, just start contributing to random projects. If you're doing good shit, people will spot you and, uh, give you the recognition you deserve. So yeah, if you, and also if you're a developer that ever needs help, feel free to reach out to me or probably almost any dev and they'll, um, you know, point you in the right direction if you need it. Love it. All right, Ben, peace out. And to all the Bitcoin magazine listeners, make sure to smash subscribe, make sure to give us those five-star reviews and uh, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Bitcoin magazine. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.